Thank you for joining me in the scripture reading today. Today's passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated they inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating then he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi. Good morning, everyone. Oh, good morning. Yeah, if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity as well. This fall, just uh, yesterday, we began, or yesterday, it feels like yesterday that we had tacos together. Just last week, we began a new series for the fall, and we'll be looking at the letter uh, called First Peter, Peter's first letter. The title for our series is called Living Hope, and that's actually for today, the focus and the title of today's message. It comes from verse 3, if uh, you were listening, uh, to Sohi in the passage we just heard read. So, First Peter, this uh, letter was written by the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Actually, Peter was one of three people who were a part of Jesus' inner circle. He was also the disciple that Jesus chose and appointed to be in the lead, to take the lead role in the early church after Jesus rose and ascended. So just that, if, if we just had that information about Peter and about this letter, we would say, well, if we want to know more about Jesus if we want to learn to follow him more faithfully, then Peter is someone we would want to pay attention to. But there's, I think, an even more compelling reason to listen to what Peter has to say in this letter. More than his leadership credentials, uh, and even maybe more than his firsthand experience with Jesus. And that's this. It's the total and complete transformation 
and how he handled and dealt with suffering and trials. Earlier in his life, if you knew Peter, you probably would have said Peter would be the last person that you would have gone to to learn about suffering. He would have been the last person that anyone would have chosen to write on the theme of suffering and hope. But here it is. The main theme of this letter that he wrote is suffering, hope in suffering. Now, I think still one of the most um, powerful and convincing advertising or marketing tools is the before and after picture. Before, it looks like this. Ooh, not so good. And after, it looks like this. It could be uh, like a cleaning product. So before, look at how messy this carpet is. But if you have this powerful vacuum cleaner, then you can have a clean carpet. That always gets me. I'm like, yes, let's get that. Or um, it could be like a house remodel. Like before, we have all these shows where it's like before the house looked like this. And look at what the remodel um, has produced. And we say, man, if I ever have a chance to remodel my house, I want them to do it. I want Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, to be my remodelers. Or, of course, there's the fitness and the health before and after pictures where it's before. You're like, okay. Dude is not looking so healthy and strong. And then afterward, it's like, whoa, he is yoked and ripped. What is his fitness plan? What is his diet? I want to know all about that. It's very effective, the before and after picture. So I, I want you to think about this when it comes to Peter's life. He has a before and after picture, especially when it comes to the, the topic and the idea of suffering. So first, Peter's before picture when, um, when Jesus felt like for his disciples, and Peter was there, uh, they were ready for him to directly tell them that it was necessary for him to suffer and die and then be raised to glory for their salvation. What did Peter do? Peter took Jesus aside, it's in Matthew 16, and he began to rebuke Jesus. He said, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said to him, you may remember this, he said to him, get behind me, Satan. Which is about the worst thing that Jesus could say to anyone or you would ever have somebody say to you. He said, you're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. So Jesus was rebuked by Jesus because he tried to prevent his suffering. Later, when the, the... The authorities came to arrest Jesus. Peter took out his sword. He said, no, we are not going to suffer. And he started fighting with his sword. And Jesus rebuked him again. And then when Jesus was going to suffer, when he was on trial and moving towards the cross, Peter denied Jesus to avoid any suffering. That's Peter's before picture. But there's an after picture, and it's right here in this text says in verse 6, you can rejoice even in suffering. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. It's all throughout this letter. We could look at uh, chapter 2, verse 21. He says, for this we have been called because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we might follow in his footsteps. 
In verses 10 through 12 in this text, he says, now I've come to see, Peter says, that this is what the entire Bible is about, suffering to glory. And it's not just what he wrote here, but it's the life that Peter lived. If we read the book of Acts, we see Peter suffered in prison. Repeatedly, he was beaten. And later, church history tells us that he was also crucified History says that he requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to suffer like Jesus. Before and after. When it comes to the topic of suffering and hope, when it comes to our struggles in life, this is someone who speaks with credibility. And when we suffer, when we have trials, when we struggle, who do we want to hear from? Who do we want to go to to get help? Is it not only those people who have suffered or who have struggled in a similar way? Peter is this kind of person. The question is, how did he go from someone who rebuked Jesus because of what Jesus said about suffering to being the kind of person who could have joy and hope right in the midst, in the face of suffering. And he tells us here, throughout the letter, but very clearly here in verses 3 through 12, he says it all comes down to having living hope. Living hope. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're following along and you like to take notes, you'll see on page 5 in the bulletin we have three points. Three things we see here in this text. Why do we need a living hope? What living hope is? And how do we find it? So first, why we need living hope. If you look at verses uh, 3 through 12, look at it again in the bulletin there or in your Bibles. What is it? It's a prayer. Did you notice that? It's actually one long, super run-on sentence. It's an English teacher's worst nightmare. It goes for 12 verses. It's very rich. It's very dense. There's no way we'll be able to cover everything here, but where do we start? What is this prayer all about? Well, let's see. What's the object? Who is the object and the subject in this prayer? It's God. Now, an interesting fact about 1 Peter is this. Only one other letter in the New Testament mentions God directly more than 1 Peter. Once every 43 words, Peter uses the word God. If you want to know who's first place, it's in 1 John, once every 34. Third place is Romans, once every 46. Why is that trivia important? I think it's very significant. Because sometimes when we're going through hard things and other people in our life are going through hard things, people that we love, it's often really hard for us to talk about God. We don't want to sound super spiritual. We don't want to oversimplify the hard things people are going through. And sometimes it's hard for us to listen to other people talking about God because we're wrestling with him so much. We don't know what he's doing in our lives. And what we learn here up front is that hope is found in wrestling and in bringing our suffering and struggling to God, even though though we don't even know how it's all going to work out. Even though we don't know the words to say or the words we want to hear, the Bible says it's worked out in the midst of worship and prayer 
Often it's lament. Often all we can do is just groan, as Paul says in Romans 8. Verse 3 says, Blessed be God, because God has given us something in his great mercy. God is giving us something. It's a gift. It's a gift that sometimes, Peter is going to say, that we discover we have. We only discover we have it, and we only discover that we need it when we're in the middle of suffering, when life brings suffering. What is this gift? It is new birth, he says, into a living hope. We have a lot of babies being born here uh, lately in our church, which is a beautiful and joyful thing. Peter is using this image of new birth, and we need to think about the idea of birth, of a new baby. So like a new baby leaves the comfort and the safety of their mother's womb, crying and upset and doesn't know what's going on. If we said to that little baby, it's okay, little one, welcome to this world. You're going to learn about the gift of food and you're going to be walking and running soon. And you're going to see light. It was so dark in there. You're going to get to see all these colors and voices. It's going to be amazing. The baby will probably not stop crying. Just a little word of advice for new parents. They won't understand. They're not ready for that yet. And just like that, to become a Christian is like being born into a whole new life with a gift that we can't even imagine. And as we grow, and especially as we suffer, we begin to realize what it is we have, this gift of living hope. Before we look at exactly what Peter means by living hope, I think it's important for us to first just talk about hope. What is hope? I have a definition that I want to put up on the screen. But hope, hope is more than just a wish or just kind of a, a willy-nilly wish where we say, I hope the weather will be nice tomorrow. I hope you're having a good day, that kind of thing. Hope is much more than this. Hope is like the vision or the picture of our desired future reality. What do we hope the future will be like? What does it look like? It's more than our thoughts or ideas. It's a deep sense we have of whether or not our desired future is coming or not. This is the definition I have up on the screen. To have hope is to have a settled conviction that what will be will be better than what is. On the flip side, to be hopeless is to have the sense that what will be will not be better than what is. The book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 12, the writer says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. To be alive is to have the need to look ahead to something that will keep us from being heart sick, as that proverb says. And everyone, to be a human being, everyone is looking for something to give them that deep, settled sense that what will be, will be better than what is. We could list all kinds of examples. We could say, I'm hoping in good grades. Because I'm hoping to get into a good college. I'm hoping to have 
the right career. I'm hoping to be successful and do well in that career. I hope for a fulfilling marriage. I hope to have kids. I hope to give our kids opportunity and success. I hope to have financial stability. And we could go on and on. All these, you might notice, are good things. Things that God gives us or calls us to. But none of them can give us living hope. Why? Look at verse 4 and what Peter says there. The answer, Peter says, is because all of them perish, all these things are defiled, and all eventually fade. But a living hope, verse 4, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Peter is contrasting what he calls living hope with all other hopes. But let's look at these phrases one by one, perishable and imperishable. Just like food that spoils, if it has that label on there, perishable, you need to refrigerate it. Peter is saying everything in life will perish, will decay. There's nothing that escapes death and decay in this life. Then he says undefiled. All our best hopes in this life, even the best things that we can have and achieve and experience, even the greatest spiritual maturity that we can have in this life is still all tainted with sin and brokenness. So Peter says it's, it's defiled, it's mixed. And then he says unfading, fading and unfading. Here Peter is getting at how even the best things we can get, our best experiences, our best memories, eventually fade with time. And because of all this, this reality that Peter is getting at, in the ancient world, in the Greek world, for them to hear somebody say, you can have living hope, that was met with a lot of cynicism. Because they said, everything fades. Death comes to everything, and everything is mixed. So if you tell us to hope, you're just setting us up for disappointment and that heart sickness. And even though we've advanced technologically and in so many ways since the days of ancient Greek philosophy, the ancient world, modern secular philosophers agree. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. And the existentialist philosopher Albert Camus said, our best response to seeking hope and meaning in a hopeless world, we go back to the ancient Greeks, the myth of Sisyphus. You remember this myth? It's the myth of the guy that has to push up the rock for eternity over and over again. Giant mountain, push up the rock one day, get it to the top, and the rock (laughs) falls back down to the bottom of the mountain again. And he has to push it back up. Camus said, what's our best response to that? Our best response to that is say, fine, I'm just going to push up the rock, but I'm going to do it with joy. I'm going to revolt against the hopelessness of this world. If there is no living hope, no life outside of this world, 
where everything perishes, everything gets mixed with sin and evil and brokenness and everything fades, then that is the best that we can do. And Peter is saying that would be the best that we could do if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Why do we need a living hope? To be human is to need hope. And to be human is to long for something outside of this world where everything fades, decays, and is mixed. That's why we need a living hope. What is this living hope that Peter offers us? He says we can have the settled conviction that what will be will be better than what is because of the living hope that we have in the gospel. Look at verse 3. He says, it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and our sharing in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in part now and one day fully and forever. That is Christianity in a nutshell. The resurrection of Jesus and our sharing in the resurrection life of Jesus. This is salvation in its fullest and biblical sense. Not escape from this world, not simply a spiritual, immaterial piece of us finding some kind of spiritual peace, but no, Peter says, it's resurrection life. The, resurre- the, the restoration of life as it should be. So what is living hope? Living hope, Peter says, is this. What will be, will be better than what is because Jesus rose from, from the dead. That is our hope of something that never will die, never will decay, never be defiled, and never will fade because Jesus is alive. Now Peter says, as he develops this thought in verse 5, he says, this salvation is ready to be revealed. So it's in the future. But he also says in verse 9, he says, this salvation is something we're already receiving. This living hope, the way that scholars say this is it's already and it's not yet. It's both already something we are receiving and it's not yet something that we fully have. Look at verse 4. Peter develops this tension of this life that will be ours fully but can be experienced in the here and now. He says, you've been born into this new life, this new family, and with this new birth, you have a new inheritance, a future inheritance. Now, let me ask you this. Let's just say, theoretically, if you could choose to be born again and have a a do-over, you could choose whatever family and whatever life that you wanted to be born into, which family would you choose? Some of you kids are thinking about this right now. Which which family would I rather be born into? Well, you probably would say, I will be a Gates. I will be a child of Bill and Melinda Gates. Or I will be a Bezos or a a Buffett. That is the family that I want to be born into because think of the inheritance that you will receive. Now, if you had that, knowing that you had a Gates inheritance or a Buffett inheritance, wouldn't that change? Even though it's future, this inheritance is coming in the future, wouldn't that change everything about your life in the present? What career you choose, choose anything you want. How you spent your money, 
<laughs> Spend your money on anything you want because the inheritance is coming. Peter says better than even a gate's inheritance is the resurrection that gives us living hope. And it brings that living hope from the future into our lives now. How does that happen? There are a few ways I want to share with you. First, we can put this up on the screen. Living hope. Living hope is the hope that what is most difficult for us will only be for a short time. Resurrection time gives us a whole new view of our time here. If death Decay, sin, evil, fading, and suffering and hardship are all that is and all that ever will be. There can be no real hope because what will be eventually will not be better than what is, right? But look at verse 6. Peter says in verse 6, for a short time, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. The hope of the resurrection is that from the vantage point of resurrection time, this present age of suffering and grief and trials is a short time, but our future life in the new creation is forever and ever. Now let me share an illustration. And by sharing this, I don't mean at all to trivialize our suffering and the difficult things we experience, but something we have to suffer through in Southern California is traffic. Just a minor bit of suffering. But it's always terrible when we get caught in traffic. Now, when you're in traffic, and maybe it's unexpected, you pull out your, your Maps app, your navigation app, and you look, you can see one of a few things. You look at that and you see the red. If the red stretches on for miles and miles and miles, you can't even see the end of the red, then that is miserable. Like, oh, going to be hating it. But if you look, and the red is just a half a mile, and you're like, okay, I'm totally cool. Like, this is going to be over because it's blue all the rest of the way. Totally different experience. Friends, what Peter is saying is that what is most difficult for us now, it is still very difficult. And it feels like it will never end, but we can have hope. Because the resurrection gives us an entirely new timeline. It's only a short time. Another way that living hope breaks into our lives now is this. We can have the living hope that what is most valuable cannot be taken from us. The resurrection gives us a whole new way of measuring and valuing and assessing the things in this life. Living hope, Peter says in verse 7, is the hope that we have something more valuable than gold, which at the time, gold was the most valuable substance. He says a Christian is someone who has something more valuable, and this thing cannot be taken from you. Follow with me uh, Peter's train of thought here. Verse 5, he says, you, part of this living hope is you are guarded by God's power through faith. Verse 6, you rejoice in this, even though for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, maybe you can underline that if you're taking notes, God's power through faith, the proven character of your faith, 
more valuable than gold is refined by fire. Verse 9, skip down. You are receiving the goal of your faith. Underline it again. The salvation of your souls. Peter is saying, when the resurrection life we will have comes into our life now, we realize what is the most valuable thing a human being can ever have. The most valuable thing we can ever have more of. The most valuable thing we can have more proven and refined in our lives. The greatest treasure is faith. Because faith is the empty hands of trust. Faith is the letting go of control and the personal trust that connects us to Jesus and his resurrection life. And Peter says, nothing is more valuable than that. My youngest son, Luke, is, um, he's right now obsessed with rocks. And he's obsessed with the idea that maybe he can find a rock that has gold in it. So we have rocks. We have hundreds of rocks, I think, in our backyard. We live right next to a canyon, so there's, there's millions of rocks. And so he keeps going and finding rocks and breaking them open to see if he can strike gold in that rock. So I've been researching. He said, we, he said Daddy, how do I know if it's gold? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's probably not gold in Peter's Canyon, but let's, let's go do some research. So we looked it up, and we learned something maybe obvious, that gold, when you find it out, out and about, wherever it is, it's often mixed, right, with other rocks and minerals. Rarely is it just a giant gold nugget just sitting around. It's always mixed with other things. Peter says, when life is hard, when we suffer, it feels like we are losing what is most valuable to us. Remember this. In these times, God is both guarding and giving us something more valuable through the refining work. It's like God is taking this rock that is us and he's burning away all that is less valuable in order that we might have that which is most valuable, more real, more proven, and more deeply ingrained in us. That's what refining does, right? It shows what is more or less valuable. It burns all the less valuable stuff out. And it makes what is valuable already even more valuable. When gold is emptied of all its impurities, it's even more valuable to us. Peter says our faith, the most valuable thing we could ever have, he says God will guard it, God will refine it, and God will bring it to its goal and its end. That is God's job. Our job is to trust. It's just to trust. That is living with living hope. Third, the third way that this resurrection future life comes into our life right now in the present is this. Living hope is the hope that our greatest grief, our greatest grief, will not be without joy. This is from verse 6. Grief and sorrow. Grief and sorrow, I speak this and I know that I greatly need this because grief and sorrow is not something that I do well. 
And many of us just don't. We, strut, we stuff it. We run from grief. We try to just distract ourselves and stay busy so we don't have to feel grief. We try to bury it. That's not what Peter says to do with our grief. But we are so afraid that if we allow ourselves to grieve, that we will be overwhelmed and overcome by grief and there will be no way out of it. Peter says we can have hope that won't happen. In fact, something almost unexplainable happens, almost unbelievable happens, something that you wouldn't even believe until you do experience it. Peter says in verse 6, though we suffer grief in trials, we can rejoice in this. He calls it a joy inexpressible and full of glory. With Jesus and with Christians, it is not joy or grief. It is always joy and grief. To follow Jesus is to go deeper into grief and at the same time deeper into joy. Now the person who I think explains this better than anyone else is actually John Calvin, uh, the old theologian from the 1600s. His, there's a quote in the beginning of your bulletin in the reflection quotes. I want, I want you to read this, follow along, because he's so insightful on this point. Calvin said this. He was writing on this passage in 1 Peter. He said, The faithful know by experience that these things, sorrow and joy, can exist together much better than can be expressed in words. However, to explain the matter in a few words, it may be put thus, the faithful are not logs of wood, nor have they so divested themselves of human feelings as to be unaffected by sorrow, unafraid of danger, unhurt by poverty, and untouched by hard and unbearable persecutions. Hence, they experience sorrow because of evils, but it is so mitigated by faith that they never cease at the same time to rejoice. Thus sorrow does not prevent their joy, but rather gives place to it. There's a lot there, but I think what John Calvin is saying is right on. It's something that I've tasted a little bit even in my own life and in my own grief, and it's this, that sorrow, he says, gives place to joy. That sorrow actually is what makes room in our souls for true joy, for delight in that which is most beautiful and that which is most lovely, as Peter says, it's Jesus himself. So, why do we need living hope? We need living hope because in this life, everything fades, decays, and is tainted. What is living hope? Living hope is hope that what is most difficult for us is only for a short time, that is what is most valuable to us cannot be taken from us, and that even our greatest grief will not be without joy. How do we find this living hope? If you're here and you're new to Christianity in the church, maybe you're coming back to church, or maybe even if you've been around church for a long time, you may have a very common misconception about what Christianity is, about what it means to be a Christian, and it might go something like this. To be a Christian means you live a good life. If you live a good enough life, not perfect, no one's perfect, but a good enough life, God will bless you. He will give you a good life. 
It will guard you from suffering and hardship. And then when you die, you will get into heaven. Friends, if that is your view of Christianity, Peter is here to say, and I am here to say, that is not Christianity. This, in fact, is a recipe for hopelessness. Why? Because this would mean it would be all up to us. And if we think we're doing good enough and suffering comes and we get angry with God, I thought I was good enough, and we lose hope. Or if we think we're not doing good enough, we feel like we can never measure up, we can never get out of the hole of the life we don't want, and we doubt whether we'll get into the life to come. That is despair and hopelessness. On top of that, this would mean that we would be living after, chasing after a false hope of what we can get from God, a good life, and heaven afterward, and not God himself, who is our only true hope. The gospel is, give up all hope of being good enough, or ever finding hope apart from God, and look to Jesus alone. Look at verses 10 through 12. We won't be able to unpack all of this. This is an incredible section here. But Peter says this, this gospel, the one that I was just talking about, this gospel of giving up all hope of being good enough and ever finding hope except in God because of Jesus, this gospel, he says, is the topic and the theme of the whole Bible. He says the prophets searched, the Spirit revealed it to them. It's the whole story of the Bible. But there at the very end, he says something really interesting. He says, these things that you hear, the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, angels long to get a glimpse of these things. These angels who are with God, closer to Him in experience than we are, angels that worship Him and have been worshiping Him for we don't know how many years, these angels are longing to get a glimpse of the gospel. Now, if the message was this, Here's the way to hope. Be good enough, and you will get a good life, and you'll be rewarded heaven. I think the angels would say, oh, that's it? That's what, that's what they've been trying to do all along. As the angels look down at human history, they've always been trying to save themselves. That's not something I want to look at. And they probably just turn to each other and say, well, what's on Netflix? We've seen this before. This is human history running the cycle. But with the gospel, they say, wait, what is God doing? What is this? He will go to suffer with them and for them? A suffering God and then glory, a glory that he will share with them? That's something that I need to look at. That's something I never even realized God could be or God could do. Peter says all of heaven is looking at this and going, what? is this? No human would have invented this. No angel would have ever dreamed this. How do we find this living hope in the gospel? Verses 8 and 9 describe it. It says, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. How do you find living hope? Through the love of 
and trust in Jesus, which really are two sides of the same coin, loving him and trusting him. It's so personal. This is a living relationship of trust in the person who is alive, who is Jesus. That is living hope. Back to this image of the new birth. Like a baby born into a whole new existence. Babies get fussy. Babies cry. We all know this. What does a baby need to be calm again? To have hope. Not a detailed description of the digestive system. You say, it's okay. Let me explain how your digestive system works. You're just having a little uh, you know, acid reflux. So you can calm down. That won't help. Or a rousing speech about all the reasons why you don't need to cry. Here's why you don't need to cry. You're safe. I got got you the best crib. You got the best little car seat. Everything's going to be fine. That won't help either. What do they need? They just need to rest and trust in the arms of their mom or their dad. They'll still cry. They'll still fuss. But all they're saying is hold me. The parents know. We as parents of babies know, you'll grow into this life. It will be okay. But the baby doesn't know how. But it does know to have this settled conviction that what will be will be better than what is. All they need to have is the presence of their parent. We find hope. Peter says, not by looking for hope, but by looking to Jesus. By looking to Him. Our new birth into a life of hope required His birth into our life of decay, tainted by sin and brokenness where everything fades. He was born into that life in order that He might bear all of our sin bear the death that we deserved, be treated as one tainted by sin. His life faded away so that we might have living hope, the glorious life of the resurrection like His. A few final thoughts, and we'll close with this. The difference that this makes A couple different people may be here this morning. First, those who are discouraged and downcast and suffering, and you need living hope. What Peter says here, I want to make sure you you see this. He is not saying have a blind faith. He says, well, you don't see Jesus, but you trust him. You don't see him now, but you love him. But we might confuse that for a blind faith. That's not what Peter is saying. He's saying, no, it is Faith, not sight, but it is utterly reasonable. It is not a blind faith. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, I saw him, and it changed everything for Peter. All his hopes had died, all the hopes of glory that he had. But they all came back to life when he saw the resurrected Jesus. Hope is something, friends, who are suffering outside of your feelings. Hope is something, friends outside of our thoughts and our ups and downs. It happened. It's solid. It's true. It's the resurrection of Jesus. So when you can't seem to find hope, know that outside of you is where your hope lies. Not blind faith. It's utterly reasonable and solid. And it's not a naive optimism. It's utterly realistic. 
Peter never downplays our grief, our suffering, and our tears. This is not just, oh, it's going to be fine. No, this is going to be difficult. This is going to require grief. But in that, your soul will grow, you will be refined, and you will find joy on the other side. What about for people who are in a relative place of comfort? People who are doing all that they can to build their lives, structure their world to avoid and control and run from suffering, which describes almost everyone in the Western world who's not in a difficult place. We need a living hope to do things for Jesus that will cost us. We need a living hope to do things that Jesus asks us to do that will not be pleasant, that will not give us immediate gratification. And we need to know it's not a choice between suffering and not suffering, an easy life or a hard life. It's a choice between living hope and false hope. What seems comfortable and preferable and easy for us is to keep placing our hope in things that will perish and be defiled and fade. And Peter says, the life that will be, the resurrection life, our living hope, can break into our lives now as we look to and as we trust Jesus, the risen one. Let's look to him. Let's trust him, friends, this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless you. We bless you, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because you have given us something greater than we can ever imagine. Living hope, new birth, and inheritance. I pray now for my friends here who are struggling, who are suffering, who can't see this living hope who can't feel the joy, I pray that you would break through with resurrection life and power into their souls this morning and raise their joy, raise their eyes to look to you so they might find hope. And I pray for us who are stuck, comfortable, always thinking that we have to choose what is easy. Help us because of the living hope that we have in Jesus. Follow your Son whatever way he asks us to, whatever the cost, knowing that you will refine us and lead us into deeper joy. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.